ruling rolling back abortion rights. Women should decide what happens to their bodies. Reaction swift, strong, and diverse. I honestly cried tears of joy. It's been something that we have been waiting for for so long. Nearly 50-year precedent reversed. The health and life of women in this nation are now at risk. Focus now on Florida. A Saturday signing. New gun safety law. The first in 30 years. Save our children! Stop the killing! Parkland parents taking a win. Coming together as an American family to start to solve these problems. The big news of the week and the newsmakers live this week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putney. I'm Glenna Milberg, and we begin with two decisions involving the biggest debates in the nation and the effects right here in South Florida. This weekend brings historic change involving guns and abortion. With Roe overturned, attention now turns to state laws that govern abortion and the choices women can legally make about their pregnancies. Another high court ruling this week grants New Yorkers and other states the right to carry a gun in public without it without having to prove why they need it what impact will that have in florida and then yesterday the president signed the first bipartisan gun safety law congress has passed in 30 years what a week and we will talk about all of that and more with south florida congressman mario diaz Balart, republican from miami who is here with us today live congressman mario great to see you congressman welcome always good to have you on the show Good to see both of you. Congressman, as you well know, for nearly 50 years, women in this country have had a constitutional right to an abortion. As of Friday, they do not. And a lot of those women are angry and hurt and grieving and upset. And a lot of them live in your district. They believe they should have the say over their own health, over their own bodies, over their own pregnancies. What do you say to those women? Well, first, again, thank you for the opportunity. First, I think we have to be respectful. This is a very delicate and uh, difficult uh, issue. And, and so I think it's important to be respectful to those who may disagree with one, right? Uh, point number one. Um, remember what the Supreme Court did. They didn't outlaw abortion. They just actually now said that it is up to the democratic process, the people, through their elected representatives in each individual state, to make the decision. And so if you believe in democracy, if you like democracy, if you like the people having the say as to uh, what, you know, on, on very important decisions like this, uh, this, is, this is a win for democracy. This is a win for the constitution. And obviously it's a win for thousands, well, you know, 60 million children that have died because of abortion over the decades yeah. in the United States. So I think it's also a win for life. But again, this does not outlaw abortion it allows we, we, the democratic process yeah. to work in each state as yeah. i think uh the constitution is pretty clear about yeah yeah we understand and we also right. agree it's a terribly intense personal issue and we're going to respect all points of view but you really didn't answer my question what do you say to women who say i should have the right to control my body my reproductive rights and they really uh, to a large extent now they don't have federal protection well, it's very interesting. I think a woman should be able to do uh, what she wants uh, with her body. But birth is not reproduction. Conception is reproduction. Birth is not reproduction. That's a child. And so a woman, 
uh, obviously, uh, an adult woman can do what she likes uh, with her body. The question is, should we protect a child, an innocent child, or should we just pretend that that child doesn't exist in this equation? That child does exist in this equation. And protecting life, by the way, that is something that is in the Constitution. Um, you know, the right to life. Uh, the right for an abortion, by the way, is nowhere to be found in the Constitution. And I challenge anybody to find even the word abortion in the Constitution. So, Congressman, you have just set up the the argument that has been decades, if not millennia old, over abortion, and that people are either looking at this as women's health and choice or looking at it from what I, I perceive to be a more faith-based argument as as life. So let me just, um, to, to your point, to your last question, in the Constitution, there is no right to an abortion enumerated. But the Ninth Amendment to the Constitution makes it clear that unenumerated rights should absolutely be in place even though they are not specifically mentioned in the Constitution. So, so does this opinion, how, how does that square with the Ninth Amendment? Well, again, uh, you know, listen, if you and, and there have been there have been uh, so many different opinions, right, since since uh, the, 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 the majority row opinion, uh, Justice Byron Wright, uh, White, uh, who, by the way, was there when that uh, decision took place, uh, said that it's an it's an uh, what is it? he said? It's an it's a extravagant exercise of power of judicial review. He also stated that the issue should be left with the people and the political process that the people have created to deal with issues like this. Again, I know that there are different opinions as to legal opinions, and that's that's obviously to be expected. But it's pretty clear uh, that abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. Yeah. For decades upon decades before Roe, uh, abortion was frankly even illegal uh, in many, many states. And so, but this decision, again, I want to be clear, this decision leaves it up to the states, to the elected uh, representatives of the people in the states. That's the way it should be. That's our way, the way our system should be, uh, should work. And the fact that we're not going to have nine unelected individuals make that decision. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I've heard so many people being critical of the, of the Supreme Court. Oh, they've made this horrible decision. Uh, well, no, what they've done is if they said, it shouldn't be up to the Supreme Court. It shouldn't be up to nine unelected officials. It should be up to the people through their representative uh, representatives. I think that's the most, uh, it's constitutional and it's also the most democratic way to do it. So now that the law comes back to Florida's law, which uh, the new restrictions for Florida go into effect on Friday if a court doesn't order otherwise. Um, we were in Tallahassee covering the debate and finally the signing of this new, more restrictive abortion law outlawing abortions after 15 weeks with very few incep uh, exceptions in Florida and no exceptions for women who have been victims of crime like rape, uh, forcing a woman to carry to term a baby born of rape or incest. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, because I spoke to several representatives who are Republicans in South Florida who are very much pro-life, who are very much in favor of this law, but would have voted, and, and some did vote for the, an amendment that failed to make exceptions for crime victims. What's your position on that? 
So well, again, it's, it is a now as it should be a state issue, uh, and as you just mentioned, um, and I don't have all of the details of obviously the state law. I'm not on the state level. I'm at the federal level, but it's 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 abortion in the first almost four months, almost four months. Um, I, I guess some people think that that is a radical decision by the state legislature. I don't. I don't think that uh, uh, you know not allowing for, in essence, killing. A creature, a child, after four months, is that dramatic? And you know the issue. Um, again, these are very, very, very difficult issues. They're very passionate issues. I respect folks who disagree with my point of view, um, but I'm confident that the state legislators, and that's now who who make that decision, um, will be very thorough and very careful. And in Florida, again, there was ample debate. Something that does not happen when the Supreme Court of Florida just says you can't do it. Yeah. Wait, but would you advocate for that exception for crime victims? You know, I, I'd have to look at the details. Now, I will tell you that um, I, I, for one, uh, and you know, my, my, you all know my position on crime, right? I'm, I'm a, I'm pretty hard on crime. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost willing to make rape uh, a, a capital offense to execute the rapist. You know, now when you're dealing with a baby, a child. Uh, I think we need to be very, very careful, and we should always err on the side of protecting that child, which is all, who's also a victim, and go after the rapist, obviously. Yeah, Congressman, uh, a University of North Florida, or rather a Florida Atlantic University poll recently found that 67% of Florida residents, 67% believe that an abortion should be legal in all or in most cases, 85% of Democrats feel that way, and 52% of Republicans, 63% of independents. So are you out of step with public opinion? Because it certainly appears that the Supreme Court is. No, again, the Supreme Court didn't say that abortion didn't get into that issue. It just basically said that it's not in the Constitution to prohibit states to regulate any aspect of abortion. I mean, that's all the Supreme Court did, remember. So they're not out of step with anybody. They just said, let's allow democracy. I know it's a really weird concept. Let's allow democracy to work how it's supposed to work, uh, you know, after hearings and after people vote, et cetera, at the state level. That's the way it should be. Now, to your point about polls, look, um, do the, you know, most people support uh, abortions the last trimester? right before a child is born, or like the previous governor of Virginia that said that you should be able to kill a baby after it's born? Yeah. I don't want to get into the weeds with the previous governor of Virginia. Let's kind of limit our view here to the people of Florida. And very simply, most of them believe, 67% believe that abortion should be legal uh, in most or all cases. So uh, are they wrong? No, again, this is a very, 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 you know, difficult decision that people have to make. Um, and fortunately, now, uh, the state legislatures can actually look at those issues and make the adequate decisions after talking to the people, as opposed to nine unelected people in a building in Washington, D.C., uh, that, that's been the case since Roe. That's why I think this is a very important, a very positive um, uh, decision. And by the way, you know, really yeah. overturning decades of wrongful jurisprudence, uh, which I think is 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 really, really good for the country.
Congressman, we need to take a quick break, so sit tight. We will be back in just a few minutes. On This Week in South Florida, we are speaking with Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart, Republican of Miami. Uh, Congressman, as you well know, you were there. You voted on Friday. The House passed a bill, the first uh, gun restriction, gun safety bill, to pass in Congress in more than 30 years. Saturday, President Biden signed it into law. The vote was 234 to 193, and one of those no votes was you. Why did you vote against it? Yeah, because, by the way, let me first say that there are some really good parts of the bill, and there are some that I, issues that, that obviously uh, I'm concerned about. Uh, some of the good parts are the uh, Luke and Alex school safety bill. That's a bill that I've worked on uh, for now a number of years, and that was uh, put in the bill. That's something that I think is very positive, and I've been very, uh, I've commended the senators for actually working together, which is something that you don't see uh, much these days. But uh, when dealing with with a fundamental constitutional issue. And, and we're dealing with now, you know, the Second Amendment, but it could have been the First Amendment. Any proposed legislation must go through a thorough, deliberative process, an open process. And Michael, this bill was introduced basically 72 hours before the House voted on it. I, I, none of us had the opportunity to, 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 to get any legal advice, to talk to lawyers, to talk to uh, experts, to have any testimony. And again, that happens all the time, and I'm not you know, overly critical necessarily when that happens. That's not the way that we should be doing things, but it does happen. But when you're dealing with fundamental constitutional issues, uh, not having the opportunity to actually have a deliberative process is, I think, highly dangerous and highly problematic. Yeah, Congressman, so many of the items in this bill are things that you have supported yep. and you have worked on so yeah. diligently. Yes. Um, and so... It, what what are the things in this bill? I mean, there's there's no ban, there's no restrictions really. I mean, a, a lot of the GOP opposition had to do with funding, with with no specific price tags, as my understanding. But what is it that you were opposed to? Yeah, my issue, by the way, obviously funding is is an issue. No, I mean I've actually supported funding, uh, and as a matter of fact, as you all know, I've been working uh, for a number of years. And the, by the way, the, the person who I think. Uh, his fingerprints are all over this bill. The, the, the amazing parts of this bill, there are some really good parts of this bill, I just mentioned one of them, is Max Schachter, who I think has been the yeah. most effective advocate yeah. on issues of school safety yeah. of Max anybody Schachter, I've ever seen. Max Schachter was on this program just last week. He is a remarkable guy, and yeah. more power yeah. to him. Yeah, and, he, and, and his fingerprints are in all the positive things. Uh, so the issue of funding, I've actually put, working with Max, uh, millions of about 132 million dollars, for example, in in grants for school safety over the uh, you know, just last year alone. So I've worked on issues on school safety. Uh, I support that. It's it's the the problem that I have, with it. and again, that's why I haven't been out there bashing it. I've actually, as I mentioned, uh, have been very positive of those who got together. And maybe the senators had the ability. I'm hoping, and I'm hoping that they had the ability to actually have testimony, expert testimony on the constitutional issues uh, that are potentially in this bill. When you're dealing with the Constitution, look, folks, if there was a bill on the First Amendment that may have had uh, the effect of, of, of hurting, you know, you as journalists to do your job uh, under the First Amendment, I think you would expect me to be thorough, to spend my time, to make sure that I listen 
And this is something that, unfortunately, uh, we were not able to do on this bill. It would have been nice if we would have had a little bit more time. You know, I just want to mention um, Tony Montalto, who is another one of the Parkland dads, who will be with us later this hour. You were one of the sponsors, along with Ted Deutsch, of a bill that he is behind called the Eagles Act. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and he talked very favorably about you when he was on this program last. So we'll see him later in this hour. But the, the NRA was actually part of the crafting of this bill, which I, I don't think a lot of people even realized. And, and so the collaboration and compromise is sort of stunning to those who watch this process. So I, I still didn't hear, like, what, what do you think is going to be constitutionally compromising? What, what is your fear? There is, as you know, there's already a uh, federal court has already uh, uh, said that, for example, uh, changing the age to 21 uh, is unconstitutional. Uh, but that's really not, um, you know, my, my, const my potential constitutional concern. Um, there are potential impl constitutional implications that, and again, I say potential, and with a little bit more time, um, maybe those could have been worked out. Um, but there are potential constitutional problems with this bill. I'm, you know, maybe I'll be proven wrong, by the way, and maybe the senators had an opportunity to have those issues resolved and they had the ability to have those conversations. But in the House, uh, we had no time, no input, no hearings. By the way, there were zero hearings in the Senate either. And again, so, I, and, I, and I'm not critical because it is an issue that is important to, I think, to the entire country. So that's why I'm not critical of those that worked on it. But again, I repeat, when you have potential constitutional implications, the fact that we had 72 hours since it was introduced in the Senate with no hearings, I had no ability to talk to any constitutional uh, scholars in the time that I had to, to deal with this bill. And, and again, when you're dealing with something as delicate as the Constitution, uh, I think we have to always be very, very careful. Yeah. Congressman, uh, we've got to say goodbye. I'm going to give you 30 seconds if you can. Have you watched any of the January 6th uh, committee hearings? And just very briefly, what's your impression? Yeah, Michael, again, and both of you, thanks for the opportunity. I have not watched it. I believe that uh, the process uh, was, was unfortunately, it's an illegitimate committee. Uh, where the opposition, uh, the, the, the loyal opposition, was not allowed to name people to that committee. So it's become, uh, uh, you know, kind of a partisan thing. Uh, right now, right before your show, uh, in the national show that was brought up, mm -hmm. that there is no other side of the story. So there's no due yeah. process. Excuse me, House Speaker shut it down. He didn't allow any Republicans on the committee. Anyway, we have exceeded our time with you. We always need more. Mario Diaz-Ballard, always good to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Thank both of you. Appreciate it. All right, thanks. Florida's new 15-week abortion law goes into effect, as we've been saying, on Friday. Those handling women's health care are on the front lines, and that is next.
In South Florida this weekend, reaction to the Supreme Court ruling is as passionate as that larger debate over abortion rights. Local 10 News reporter Parker Branton is live with us this morning with a sampling of South Florida opinion on the abortion rights ruling. Parker, good morning. What's up? Michael, good morning. I can tell you we are seeing it across South Florida, hundreds gathering, protesting this historic decision. But we're also hearing from some that say that this is a big win. We will not go back. From Broward to Dade, crowds of passionate pro-choice supporters gathering across South Florida after hearing Roe v. Wade was overturned by the Supreme Court, ending 50 years of women's constitutional rights to an abortion. This decision rolls back the freedom that we fought so hard for. Protesters carrying signs that read, my body, my choice. We will not go back and keep abortion safe and legal. You've got a Republican appointed majority Supreme Court that tore women's rights away, and it's only the beginning. Congresswoman Debbie Washerman Schultz addressing one crowd with Senator Lauren Book. That they can still get legal and safe abortions in the state of Florida today, tomorrow, um, and starting July 1st, up until 15 weeks. On the opposite political side. Uh, we're very excited in Florida. Republicans like the Florida Lieutenant Governor calling the historic ruling nothing short of miraculous. The importance of that is going back to the states. We've never believed that an issue of that magnitude should be legislated by the bench. Governor Ron DeSantis has already hinted at more abortion restrictions, even though his office would not confirm if he would call for a special legislative session. Back in April, the governor signing legislation into law that bans abortions in Florida after 15 weeks of pregnancy. He's clearly scared to talk about this subject because he knows that popular opinion, especially in Florida, is oppositional to him. And while you see some are celebrating, others say they want change to happen now. And the Democrats that we have spoken with say the best way to make that change happen is to get out and vote and put the right people in office. Glenna, Michael. Parker, thanks so much. And barring any last-minute court order, Florida's new abortion restrictions are scheduled to start this week, Friday, July 1st. So with fresh attention now in the wake of that Supreme Court ruling. The High Court ruling and the new Florida law certainly have women's health providers trying to figure out their best course of action. Maite Canino is one of those leaders. She is the deputy organizing director of Planned Parenthood for Southeast and North Florida. Maite, happy to have you with us. How are you? Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me here today. Maite, I know it's been a very busy weekend for you and your colleagues. What advice do you have now for women in Florida, knowing that Florida is potentially one of those states that might see women from other states come to seek a legal abortion? But what's your best advice this morning? So it's been a busy week, a busy year for us here in Florida. Uh, we already are receiving women from other states that have been coming to us to access abortion. We are one of the only few states in, in the South um, that have access to abortion as of up to 20, uh, over 15 weeks. As of July 1st, it will be only until 15 weeks um, that you could access abortion um, in the state of Florida. Um, we at Planned Parenthood will always do everything possible to make sure uh, that women have access to the care that they need. Um, we will help them uh, figure out their plan of how to access abortion if that's something that they feel that they need to do. And my advice 
to women and to everyone in Florida is not a Supreme Court that has made the decision. It's coming back to the states um, to say um, what will happen and what would abortion access look in Florida. Now more than ever, it's so important that people pay attention to uh, people they're voting to into office and having abortion as one of the issues that they're looking at. It's not always the first issue people are looking at, but more clearly than ever, it shows us that we need to look at who are we voting for? What is their stance on abortion? Because most Americans, most Floridians, believe this is a very private decision that should not be legislated by politicians. So, so let me just let me bring you back to the, the day at hand, the practical matter at hand. In Florida, 96% of women who have had abortions till now is before the 15-week mark that will now be in place as of Friday. Uh, it affects a very small, the new regulations affect a very small percentage by the numbers, of course, huge if, if a woman is one of those 4%. But, but I, I want to, in this week, really zero in on, you may have clients, no, no privacy breaching here, but you may have clients who are around the 15-week mark. And w what are you telling them? Yeah. Well, the, client, the people that we see that come to us during the 15-week mark are you after 15 weeks are usually people that have problems in the pregnancy um, with fetal anomalies, with heart conditions of the babies that are, is not being seen, the fetus that's not being seen until later on in the pregnancy. Um, those are the people that we see after 15 weeks that have issues um, with the pregnancy. When women are coming to us now to schedule their appointment, we are making sure that we get them in as soon as possible and we see the gestational age um, and provide them the care that they need. Yeah, uh, Maite, tell us about what is going on uh, in your facilities in South Florida and across the state. I mean, we know that uh, Planned Parenthood provides an array of health services. It is just not an abortion provider, but uh, we see at an abortion clinic in Hialeah a huge rush of women coming there trying to get an abortion you know, before this law goes into effect. Uh, what's happening at your clinics? What's happening in our clinic is what's happening in our health centers every single day. We're providing health care to the, to the women and the people that need the health care. Um, we are bringing them in. We are seeing as many patients as possible um, to access abortion and the care that they need because abortion is part of the health care that they need. Yeah, if I can, just, I'm sorry, follow up very briefly. Uh, we know that um, uh, an abortion through medication is widely practiced now. I believe something like 48, 49% of abortions in the country are through medication. Uh, what are you advising uh, your patients, your clients, uh, through your clinics? What about the availability of medication to uh, cause an abortion? Because the Florida law says that a doctor may not prescribe those pills either on the phone or online. So at Planned Parenthood, we follow all the laws, even though we don't agree with all of them that are being um, given because they're not medically accurate laws most of the time that we have. Our doctors are following most of the law. It is um, a conversation that our doctors are having with our patients as they come in um, and making sure that they're receiving the care they need with still adhering with uh, the laws that are the law of Florida's. So Planned Parenthood, we have a, a very short time left, but Planned Parenthood has a, a lawsuit against this new law. Um, I believe there's a court hearing about it tomorrow. And it's based on the argument that Florida's new restrictions might violate 
the state constitutional mm -hmm. right to privacy. How, how does that play practically speaking? Isn't everything you do a, a private matter? How would government even know? It, it does. This law and, you know, even the people that propose this law know that this is against a person's privacy. This is an unconstitutional law, as many unconstitutional laws that the legislature has passed. In Florida, our privacy rights are even stricter than our federal privacy rights. It protects us as people, not only our information. By going into someone's medical decision and trying to um, say what a person should do with their body and medically is against the privacy that the Constitution gives us in Florida. So it does go against the Constitution. Now we will see how the courts interpret it as we saw in the Supreme Court. There will be a lot going on this week, no doubt. Maite Canino with Planned Parenthood. I appreciate, we appreciate your time today and we invite you to keep in touch and let us know what, uh, how this all goes down. Maite, thank thanks. You. Thank you and thank you for having me today. Of course. And up next, Parkland parents who've been fighting for stricter gun laws, they got a win this week. And one of the leaders in that effort is going to join us after the break. Signed, sealed, and delivered Saturday, the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, a.k.a. gun safety provisions that end decades of stalemate in Congress over how to stop the epidemic of shootings. Some of the Stoneman Douglas High families that were instrumental in changing Florida law after losing their children in the mass shooting at the school, they have traveled to D.C. many times during the push for this law, and Tony Montalto is one of them. He's the president of Stand with Parkland, lost his daughter Gina in the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Donuts. Uh, Tony Montaldo, welcome. Great to see you. Hi, Tony. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So congratulations are in order. You have worked so hard, you and Stand with Parkland. Uh, what went through your mind and heart when you saw the president finally sign this bill? Well, it's such an important first step to uh, having something done to prevent these terrible, tragic school shootings. Uh, we couldn't help but think of uh, of our murdered loved ones, of my beautiful daughter, Gina, and how this is now part of her legacy and the legacy of, uh, of all those we lost in Parkland. Um, it's to make other people safer. So we were uh, very happy, especially with the bipartisan nature of this bill. Mm -hmm. um, that's been something that's been sorely missing in Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm so happy to see both sides be able to come together to solve, help solve this problem. And you have a, a beautiful photograph of Gina right over your shoulder there. Tony, um, you were in D.C. for the better part of the last two weeks really pushing for this bill. And I know Stand with Parkland and so many <laughs> of the Parkland parents who were involved with you in that, there were, there were some specific goals there. You sent to me those goals. Um, securing the school campuses, improving mental health screening and support, and responsible firearm ownership. Does this new law live up to what your goals were, are? This new law certainly touches on all of those things. Uh, we like to refer to that as the, as the school safety triad. Um, we know that all of those things failed our families in February of 2018. And uh, sadly, I'm sure we'll see that uh, all those things failed the families in Uvalde just recently. Mm -hmm. um, we have always tried to make this uh, a discussion about what is possible 
without letting this devolve into a Second Amendment debate where everybody picks their sides and nobody can talk in the middle. We have seen this opportunity for compromise, very similar to what we did in Florida. We saw the uh, Republicans and the Democrats be able to show political courage and work across the aisle um, with great leadership um, to produce the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act in 2018. And this bill, the Safer or the uh, uh, Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, certainly, I uh, should say now law, uh, certainly addresses all those things. Yeah. Uh, Tony, uh, in 2018, that remarkable three-week period where the, the legislature, because of you and the parents, and sentiment throughout the state for some kind of law and the, the really remarkable laws that were passed in 2018 was when Rick Scott was the governor. Well, this past week when the Senate voted, Rick Scott, Senator Scott, voted against this bill and so did uh, Marco Rubio. Are you disappointed? Yes, we are disappointed. They couldn't find a way to support this bill. However, it's important uh, to remember some things that um, Senator Rubio's staff spent a lot of time and effort uh, making sure that the LASA, the Luke and Alex School Safety Act, mm -hmm. was included in this uh, new law and included uh, in an intact fashion to support the uh, Federal Clearinghouse of Best Practices, which is accessed through schoolsafety.gov. Um, additionally, um, we were surprised that the, the, the working group of the 20 senators uh, didn't reach out to uh, Senator Scott and, uh, and try and engage him in, in more of the conversation, seeing as how he had previously uh, led the success we had here in Florida. And earlier in this hour, I'm not sure if you were able to hear our conversation with Congressman Mario Diaz-Balart of Miami, uh, who also voted against this legislation. And he said, uh, while being very supportive of certain components of it, he also said he had some constitutional concerns. Um, A, were you, I don't know if you were able to hear that, but, but would you, do you understand what might be concerning uh, in a constitutional direction? Well, uh, I wasn't able to listen to that, and, and uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, we appreciate everybody uh, being concerned about the Constitution, but we have to remember that the Constitution is a broad document, and it begins with the preamble. And the preamble is what helps define what they were, what our founders were trying to do when they did this. And uh, among those things are uh, establishing a common defense, not a personal defense, but a common defense, promoting the general welfare and securing the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity. Sadly, um, my daughter, her 13 classmates, and her teachers were uh, denied many of those things talked about in the Constitution before we even get to the amendments. Yeah. yeah. So what is next for you? What mm -hmm. is next for Stand With Parkland and, and all who work on, on pushing these laws and legislation for safety? Well, now that we have uh, this law passed, um, now the next step is implementation. Um, drawing on our experience from, uh, from here in Florida when we passed some laws, we now had to uh, make sure that they were implemented properly. We're working with the folks at, uh, at schoolsafety.gov to make sure that they can uh, provide some guidance to the schools on how to spend this money properly. We're really pleased to see dollars allotted for uh, for red flag laws to this because they are some of the most proactive things we can do. Uh, again, having been used over 8,000 times here in this state uh, since they were passed four years ago, these are proactive things that prevent 
uh, people who have been deemed a threat from hurting themselves or others. Um, we're happy to see uh, more money go towards a stop school violence uh, grant funding that we have been a supporter of and, and helped push over the line back in 2018. We are pleased to see more dollars for mental health programs in our schools. Um, these are, are vital uh, pieces of the puzzle to address many of the things. The uh, 988 suicide hotline that's going to be established here, suicide prevention hotline that's going to be established here is, is vital to allowing people uh, an ability to reach out and get help when they feel they're in crisis. Uh, almost half the uh, firearms deaths in the nation are through suicide. So this is this mental health component shouldn't be shortchanged as being uh, not needed. No, absolutely. It's so comprehensive. Tony Montalto, always great to have you and your perspective, and we honor your hard work. Um, so appreciate your time. Thank you, Tony. Congrats. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, up next, former Congressman David Rivera, the perennial bad boy of South Florida politics, goes on the record. Michael's exclusive with him right after the break. Former Congressman David Rivera has often been a center of attention in South Florida politics, both elections and controversies. He is running again for the state legislature, and so when we sat down earlier this week, my first question was, why? Everything that's going on with uh, the economy, I don't think this is the time for newcomers. I think this is the time for people that have some experience to perhaps get back into uh, public service, people that can have an impact immediately uh, for our community. I've done that before for many years. I've had quite an impact on many public institutions uh, for our community, and I think I can do it again. It's not a step back. Is this a comeback for you? How would you characterize it? Not at all. I've been active in many projects uh, in involving our community during my time in the last few years in the, in the private sector. Um, but it's not really a comeback because public service is a vocation. It's a lifetime vocation, really. It's not something that you're born into, but it kind of is born into you. And so I've always yeah. been uh, someone who wants to give back to the community, and here's an opportunity to do so again. You have stirred up so much controversy over the years. I mean, you put a fake faux candidate uh, into a congressional race, uh, Justin Lamar Sternad, and now you've been fined $456,000. Are you going to pay that? Well, first of all, you're, you've been reading the fake news from the Miami Herald. I never put any candidate, any fake candidate into any race. Uh, that's one of the reasons why no one has, uh, from any um, regulatory or legal agency in the government has ever accused me of that. You mentioned some sort of fine. There's no fine right now either, Michael. The way that works is the judge makes a preliminary opinion regarding that fine, but gives us a chance to respond. So right now we are in that response period where we have given the judge more information uh, regarding that fine, but there's no judgment against David Rivera. Yeah, uh, David, I was in federal district court when Judge Robert Scola said, who is unindicted co-conspirator number one? Give us his name. And the U.S. attorney said, 
it's David Rivera. And then they never said anything else. Can you imagine that? So the U.S. attorney who at that time wanted, the assistant U.S. attorney who at that time wanted to be a U.S. attorney and was using me as a political ploy to advance his career as one of the most corrupt uh, officials in the U.S. attorney's office, never said David Rivera again, just that one day. And well, I think he I, said he, it because- He said it reluctantly. And too. he said it reluctantly because it wasn't true. And he said it because the Miami Herald pushed him into saying that because the Miami Herald has been publishing fake news on this matter and on so many other matters more recently regarding Venezuela and, and others, but right. so he was just following the fake news agenda of the Miami Herald. Did you have anything to do with Justin Lamar Sternat? Zero. Running for Congress? Zero. And any money? I mean, you were Zero. accused. Zero. You, again, you've been reading the fake news from the Miami Herald. This has I been a campaign. This has been a campaign of fake news that has been gone back a decade. Remember, this is 2012. We're in 2022, Michael. We've got inflation. We've got gas prices. We've got food prices. We've got a lot of problems facing this country and facing our community. You're talking about some silly uh, campaign uh, ploy from somebody else back in 10 years ago, Michael. This is 2022. Yeah. It's time to think about what the problems facing our community are today. Who's best capable and experienced and has the record of yeah. bringing uh, um, uh, and benefits to our community. Who has that? And it's David yeah. Rivera. You well, let's talk about 2017. Okay. When you allegedly had a contract with either the government of Venezuela and Nicolas Maduro or with Pedavisa, the Venezuelan state oil company, for $50 million to somehow improve their image. Did you? No. Once again, not true. You've been reading the fake news in the Miami Herald. That's what the Miami Herald says. The fact of the matter is that there is a corporation, an American corporation in this country named Sitco Petroleum. Sitco Petroleum yeah. is based in Houston. It is incorporated in Delaware, has its headquarters in New York. Sitco Petroleum in 2017 approached me because members of the Venezuelan opposition had talked to me about dissidents inside Sitco that were not happy with the way the company was being run by the Venezuela, by the government of Venezuela and they came to me asking for suggestions, for consulting, for counseling on how they could distance themselves, how they could separate themselves from the disastrous failed economic direction so they that they were heading for, for to, to, to help them. The, exactly, the contract with uh, an affiliate of Sitco here in the United States was for, uh, for $50 million, which represents to them, you know, a company that is a multi-billion dollar corporation and gives and does these kind of, you know, million dollar contracts routinely over the last several several decades had nothing to do with PDVSA, had nothing to do with the governor of Venezuela. The Miami Herald lied when they said there was a contract between David Rivera and PDVSA. It doesn't exist, right, exist so Michael. Hold on a second. And I challenge the Miami Herald to bring it to you. Bring Michael Putney the contract that is signed between David Rivera or a company of David Rivera's and PDVSA. Michael, it doesn't exist. These things have dogged you for years. So well, what, you, you, what, do you, what do you tell constituents? What do you tell the voters in District 119 who ask you about these it's things? It's very simple. When I was in the state legislature, I sponsored an amendment that said no courts in the state of Florida should have to publish notifications in physical newspapers oh, yeah. and pay newspapers legal notices. legal notices and shouldn't have to pay legal notices to newspapers because the internet uh, was alive and well. Nobody was reading newspapers. Everybody could do that. You could do right, that on so the internet for a lot. To, no, no, it wasn't. It wasn't punishment. You consider it punishment. I consider a benefit to the taxpayers, where they're not having to worry about courts spending taxpayer money advertising in physical newspapers yeah. that on the planet Earth hardly anybody except you actually reads. Where you could do yeah. it on the internet. Let me ask you about your old friend Marco Rubio. Sure. 
Uh, you've known each other for since, what, the 80s? Uh, you shared a house in Tallahassee when you both served in the legislature. Uh, has he endorsed your candidacy? I haven't even discussed it with him because, you Why know, I, well, first of all, I filed on I filed on Friday. And to be honest with you, Michael, you know, I've been active in this community even before um, I knew Marco Rubio. I was working at Radio Martí and with Jorge Mascarosa at the Cuban American National Foundation. And I was at the United Nations Human Rights Commission with Ambassador Valladares long before I, I knew Marco Rubio. And, yeah. you know, if, if I present a candidacy to the voters, I'm going to do it based on my own history, based on my experience. And really, if I need endorsements from big names in order to, to win a, a state house seat, that doesn't, I think, bode well. I think the voters are going to uh, judge me on my history with the community, my accomplishments in the community, and that's what I'm going to base yeah. my campaign on. What is the main issue that David Rivera is running on? Because it really can't be all of your past history. Your past history, frankly, my friend, is sort of checkered. Not when it comes to the, my performance in the legislature, absolutely absolutely not. Maybe when it comes to these extraneous issues the, that the Miami Hill has brought up, this fake news that you have mentioned uh, in, t in the interview. But I think the, the issue really now is this is not time for a learning curve. This is time for people to go in, have an immediate at impact. Nobody needs to tell me where the bathrooms are in the legislature in Tallahassee. You know your way around. I know my way around. I know the folks in, in the building. And so I can go in there and I can keep having that impact like I had for FIU, for Miami-Dade College, for Jackson Memorial Hospital, for our infrastructure, for our jobs on day one. David Rivera filed the paperwork to run for the state house, but the state division of elections still does not list him as a qualified candidate. We have asked why. We're waiting for an answer. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for being with us this hour. Remember, we are online 24-7. And as always, stay informed, get involved. Have a great Sunday.